Paul McLaughlin, McLaughlin at Work, your audio guide to the workplace. The Work Walk, bringing you the best in management, leadership, and employment here with an important episode today. We are speaking with Bob Bodine, who has been described by none less than Sports Illustrated as the most influential, influential man in sports you've never heard of. He is a search executive in the sports and entertainment field, university presidents, stars, athletes, athletic directors in a what is a large consumable part of our economy. Bob has written a book that stems from what he knows and what he knows well, the power of who you already know everyone you need to know. Bob Bodine on McLaughlin at Work you will want to listen. This guy is in the field. He's on the court. He's making it happen. He's in the coach's table. He is in the president's, uh, university president's office. He has built a very successful career on the importance of relationships that are sincere and real at a, both a personal and professional level. Hear how he does it all here on McLaughlin at Work, your audio guide to the workplace. And brought to you by Classroom 24-7, web-based learning and certification training. Paul McLaughlin now with Bob Bodine here, the book, The Power of Who. And uh, Bob, welcome to McLaughlin at Work. Hey, it's great to be with you. You have written a book, but it's really a reflection of your own philosophy. The uh, Power of Who, you already know everyone you need to know. Uh, put that in context. Um, it could be one of the greatest job advice tips for people in the country today. Um, it's uh, you know some of the most profound uh, ideas, some of the most amazing secrets, sometimes are the most simple. Uh, and so the fact that you would not have to actually go somewhere out there for my dreams or my goals or my objectives, that somehow they weren't external but they were internal, that actually I knew everyone I needed to know, that's actually true. And so I'm actually trying to, to get people to understand that they got who, that you got who, that you have a community of friends that you've developed over many years through love and unconditional giving. Right. That'll actually come to your aid in a time of crisis. And of course, we have a We're bunch of those right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting way ahead of ourselves here. Um, when you talk about the, the power of who, you are distinguishing that from what? <clears throat> what if each of us we're given specific people in our lives to help us in ways we never imagined. What if these people weren't happenstance acquaintances, but were instead strategic relationships meant to be actively involved in helping you find that place in life you always dreamed about? See, I think we miss the whole simplicity of, of destiny. What if finding our next job or helping our mom get into a, a hospital or getting our kids into college isn't about who we don't know, but whom we've neglected? So, um, you know, I try to explain right now is that our, our world to which we live in right now is, is moving in, in some facet of the wrong direction, is that we believe that what we want and what we've done is enough to get us there, to get us over to this other side. And what I'm teaching people is it's not about what, it's about who. And it's not about your resume. It's, it's, not, not. About where, it's not about where you were. We're not looking in, the, uh, in, in, in that rear view, proverbial rear view mirror. People hire people. They don't hire resumes. Uh, people don't hire brochures. If they're going to buy your company, they don't buy the company. They buy the person who's actually behind, you know, out there in front selling this concept because of trust. There's an aspect of trust that has, has built this. And, and people, you know, this, is, this power who's really wisdom parading is common sense. Uh, it's just that our, our world has gotten away from common sense. Isn't that the truth? Speaking of which, we should speak about Bob Bodine. This book comes out of your experience. Yeah. And, and this book, frankly, comes out of your success. And this is built on a, a pyramid. This is a pyramid scheme. This is a Ponzi scheme, but a good one. <laughs> Give us a sense. Who's Bob Bodine? What do you do? I, what I, are you? I am CEO of an executive search firm. Uh, called Eastman and Bodine. We're the leading search firm in the country in sports and entertainment. Uh, big field. Uh, big one. We do all the work for all the major leagues, the NBA, the NFL, Major, you know, major League Baseball, hockey. Uh, we do NASCAR. We do all the aspects of college. I've placed 33 athletic directors in the country, 24 uh, head coaches. Um, 
uh, just placed the other day the executive vice president uh, two days ago for the executive vice president of the Charlotte Bobcats sales and marketing. So we, we what we do is companies, uh, organizations, sports uh, teams hire me uh, to go out and find uh, a person that they need to actually turn around their organization. So we reshape organizations. And, and, and in some measure, if I may interrupt, in some measure, um, you're always brought in because of somebody left, or there's a problem, or you need a turnaround. It, it is not, or hit by a bus. I mean, there are, there are a variety of circumstances, right. but it's not in a continuum. Something has happened to create a break. Something's happened, and they don't feel they have the answer to be able to bring someone in from their network of people that they know. Uh, their now, expl explain that to people, because I think that people misunderstand, and, I, and I, I've been in the field, um, and I think that they're, they're, my own view of it is that sort of the, the senior, the, the president, uh, the, the, the head coach, they have sort of a membrane around them and it's difficult to get outside of that. But I think that people, uh, on the one hand, people who are going to hire people like yourself, uh, don't really look forward to it because in some measure it, it says that their own relationships don't go far enough. That, that's one way of looking at it. But I think from the outside world, they think that if you've got a successful program or you're trying to do a turnaround, you should be able to do it by yourself. And that simply is not the case, is it? No. Uh, especially in sports and, uh, and, and, and the aspect of sports or teams or, or aspects. Most people in, who are looking, they're looking to find someone who's already doing the job that they want done today, who have a demonstrated record, who has a demonstrated record of achievement. Um, and so in coaching, the problem is they would think, hey, I already know uh, that the person over here at such and such an organization, he would be perfect for me. And you'd say, hey, as an alum, boy, we should just go get him or, or go get her for whatever it is. But here's the problem with this thought. Um, that person has a job. They got a lum. And the problem with that thought gives you a business. Exactly. <laughs> and so they have a they can't they can't go get this person because that would cause havoc in their current organization. Why it's like you're cheating on your wife. It's like you're cheating. And so you don't want to cheat on your wife. You don't want to have this problem and and this be and you and the problem is they don't know the other athletic director, they don't know the other, you know, professional owner. And so what right. I do is I facilitate the relationship and get people to be seen in a confidential and, and facilitate a process that allows people to to look and find out uh, if I'm a if I'm a if I'm a coach or a, or a head of an organization, people make moves for five reasons: people, challenge, opportunity, growth, and money. All five are even, and I help facilitate that and make that process. Now, uh, Sports Illustrated, and I quoted this before you came in, said you're the most influential man in sports you never heard of. Um, in part, isn't that a requirement? You have to stay under the radar a little bit to avoid conflict. Yeah, I mean, this is all about. Uh, trust, uh, really making sure that I have your best interests as a candidate as well as a client and that I'm matching them. This does not work without actually that piece that I'm really out for your benefit to make sure that this is right today. And of course, now we're talking about those who skills, those issues today that matter to you most. And that is, hey, well, am I really going to take the job if I'm not with someone that I that I know and trust and like and that this is a good fit for me and my family? Because someone can't make moves for a number of these reasons if all of these don't come into one focus. So over the last, you know, I've done search for 29 years and over the last 15 years in sports, I've gotten to know and spend time getting to know all the top people in, in teams and leagues and conferences and what your goals and your dreams and your aspirations are. And then I'm trying to actually fit those with other individuals who are owners and teams, et cetera, to make sure that they got the, somebody because this is not about transactions. This is about doing something in an organization that's transformational. In reading your book, and we can get into the the concentric circles of who, and that's very interesting because the book actually builds a process. Uh, and, and, and I would say on a personal level that um, books like this, and there are a few obviously of them, um, the power of seems to be a good way to describe things nowadays. The importance of family. You had talked about you were worked with your father. Uh, yes. And, and he was an important part in, in your development. My dad had a simple philosophy on business is make friends, um, help your friends in every way possible that you can and then don't be surprised if you do a lot of business with your friends 
Um, and, and what we did was uh, we first started out, my dad had a firm in, in Chicago, New York, LA, San Francisco, 15 countries in Europe, and, and uh, we were- In the, the search business. In the search business. Okay. He, he started this firm in 1967 in Chicago out of McKinsey. Uh, and uh, you know, interestingly, one of the things that uh, kind of stems early about the Power Who is that when, when I was young, my dad was out of work for, for eight months after having been with McKinsey and then going into a job that actually some political things and he was all of a sudden out and he was out of work for eight months and during that period of time every single day my dad would get up in the morning um, go out to work get dressed go out to work and and then when we left for school he would circle back in and do a search because he didn't want us to be nervous uh, he didn't want us to know which is really interesting it was yeah. a different generation it was a different um, generation but and that was in the late 60s yeah and yeah. so what happened interesting is that um, my dad, when I joined him, and I worked with my dad for 20 years before he passed away, is that if you came to our office and you were out of work and you didn't have an appointment with us, uh, we would treat you because we understood the vulnerability that happened in your life. We would treat you like you did have an appointment. We would go out, meet you immediately, bring you in, get you a cup of coffee. And, and the thought process that my dad always said is that there's something great in everyone, Bob. And he says, your job's to find it. Yeah. And of course, you know, one of the things that I found is that we spend 30 e Easy to say, but now yeah. we're back in that same environment. Yeah. And yeah. one of the things about your book is people opening up and asking, but continue. Yeah, and this yeah. Is yeah. I mean, what stuff. we spend, you know, I, I would say some of the reason our success has been, we spend 30% of our time giving free advice and free help to yep. people who are out of jobs. And I really came to a point because of all these people today who are out of work, who are, who are trying to find their way, who are thinking that they can send in non-relational approaches uh, to, you know, dear, recru dear recruiter, dear sir, to whom it may concern letters. Dear recruiter, that's an oxymoron. I mean, come on, why are you sending out stuff to people you don't know? And so what I'm trying to do is tell people and remind them that their answer to finding jobs and dreams is not with people they don't I know. know. It is, it, it, and, it, and it particularly in this environment oh. where this, uh, and, and networking is a term very much back in vogue because networking usually takes place in times of need. Yeah. Um, and, and your view on the term? Well, I, I tell people that you have to take everything you've ever learned about networking and throw it out. You have to dump it, you have to expel it, you have to cast it out because it's crap. Um, the concept of networking is disingenuous. It implies something that it's not. It implies friendship when it means mere acquaintances. So acquaintances actually wish you well. A friend helps you now. And when you're in a crisis and you're in problematic aspects today, who are you going to turn to? People you know or people you don't know? Well, what people won't do today is they won't turn to people they know. Why? Because they're embarrassed. It's a different dynamic. They don't feel comfortable calling people. But, but why is that? Well, what, what is it in, in, in how our makeup that has made that? It's true in Texas. It's true in L.A. It's true in Seattle. It's true in New York City, the center of the depression yeah. uh, in, in, in our view. I don't know whether that's something <clears throat> that you have seen. You, obviously, you're very well traveled. Yeah. Uh, is New York different in this? Uh, in I this think we're all the same in every single category, and it's and 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 for some reason, what they think is that. Let, and let me let me even go this way: if if you and I are friends, really good friends, and I asked you for help, would you help me? Categorically, yes. Of course. And see, why would you deny me the same joy of helping you? See, it never works in reverse for people. Right. People only look at this situation in, in one dimension. And, and when crisis comes and unexpected change comes, what happens is it's overwhelming for people. And they go bonkers and they bunker. They actually go to a spot where they're thinking, hey, mind your P's and Q's, work really hard. It was going to work out. It didn't work out. So now that they're out, I don't want my friends to know. Guess what? They know. Your friends know. What do you think? Your friends aren't going to actually help you? We're actually pre-wired to want to help you. Yeah. The people you have. However, the only one in the animal kingdom who will die for, for, for a friend. Exactly correct. And so what we what we missed is, is that we spent so much time actually not spending time with our real friends. And what I'm actually teaching in The Power Who is, so can you tell me who your 12 friends, your three close, your one best are? Did you think those were given to you by chance? Um, did you miss the people in the next circle, what I call your who friends? Okay, these are people that you met in high school and college and first job and second job and church and clubs and associations. And these people had an, actually resonated something when you met them. You had a moment and you became friends and then poof, they moved to Boise. Do you think it's easy to find these people? 
It's impossible to find friends. So what do we need? We have to remember them. We got to go back out and reach out to them. We got to call them and say, I miss you. Why? And we have to reconnect because these people hold your destiny. Your destiny is hidden for your next jobs and where you are with your who. And when you figure this out, this is a paradigm shattering concept because we keep doing things with people we don't know, with influencers, like as if all of a sudden Boone Pickens is, you know, because he's a really important person or all of a sudden, you know, someone who who knows Obama is actually going to be someone who's going to help us. They don't know you. They're not going to help you. Uh, Paul McLaughlin with Bob Bodine, the author of Power of Who. You already know everyone you need to know. Uh, fascinating subject matter because when you read through it, you're reminded of its um, sort of objective truths. I mean, it's it's something that's uh, it's a reminder. I was looking here, which I will find in a second, but if you can re remember the quote is that if people who you don't know will only help you if it does something for them. Yeah. And, and I think that was very well put. I, I, is that paraphrase yeah. somewhat well, accurate? Absolutely. I mean, here's the thing is we've actually, the, the concept. We need to be reminded of that. We so do. I, I want you to say it as the author and the person who's lived it. Well, here's the thing is this, is that the rules of giving Okay, we've actually changed. And so, you know, most people, when you when you give, the concept of giving was unconditional. It was between friends. I would help you just because. But we've changed that in our world, and now we give to get. Um, I, I will give because there's some advantage of me getting something back in return. Or I will give selectively. I'll give to Paul because I think he can help me with my book, but I'm not going to give to this person over here to my right because, you know, hey, maybe they can't help me. That's called giving selectively. That doesn't work. People see through giving to get, giving selectively. Here's the reality. You give out of love. You just help people. This concept of the power of who is two things. One, it's a message of hope. Why? Because today, you only need one person. If you're out of a job, you only need one person to help you. What if it turned out to be an old college friend? Right. What if it turned out to somebody that used to be a neighbor of yours? They're there. I'm telling you, it's hidden here. The other one is that this concept is not only a message of hope, but a, but the concept of the power of who is about giving. Someone said to me the other day, and I was, I was on a radio show, and they said to me, well, what do you tell the homeless person? Okay, like as if, you know, well, like that was, and I turned to them and I said, well, first off, I, I tell that person is that you're a treasure chest of gifts and talents. You, you do something individually that no one else in the world actually can do. It's you do it better. Who fooled you? And so stand up. Stand up, let me help you stand up, and then start giving. You know, when we start helping other people, when we get out of the paradigm of me first, me alone, and what can I do for me, and to how do I help you, what do you need, and yes, I'm gonna help you right now, that paradigm changes things, and there's a balancing of the equation in life. And I don't know how it happens, except it does, and that's what people need to be doing. And particularly in these times. Right. Uh, have, you, have you seen times like this? You know, when I first got into business, I did real estate and uh, got into the business initially back in 1980. Uh, and, and in fact, back then, executive recruiting was only for really people who were 45, you know, right. because you had contacts. You were and 45 back in 1980 was a long way away. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, my gosh, and my dad always looked at me and said, hey, look, you're not going to, it's going to be hard for you to actually get searches, but maybe you can assist other people in our office. And I went in to open an office with someone else. But what happened is that there was new industries beginning and new things happening with younger brighter sharper people who are coming up with new solutions and of course that's what we need today yep. and but back then uh, the whole real estate world was just growing and and we had office developments and we had three for one write-offs and the whole industry of real and estate REITs. REITs and everything was skyrocketing <laughs> and then all of a sudden in one day pop it stopped and all of a sudden everyone went to jail and there were people going in troubles and all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden the savings and loan then happened and everybody was giving a savings and loan crisis then happened and pop that went yeah. out. And then we had oil and gas and all of a sudden that stuff. And so there's been, in, in life it has these circles that keep happening over and over and over and over again. And one of the things that happened- One of the natures of capitalism. And you know, right now is, hey, you know, when I originally originally wrote this book back four and a half years ago, when I actually started this, I was writing for 69% of the country that today believe that a bad day at the beach is better than a good day at work. For people who are in jobs and oh, they're that stuck. That was our friends for the Gallup who, uh, right. who came up with that, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so what happens? So what do these people do? Well, you're stuck because I can't tell my boss that I want a new job or he fire me. I can't tell my friends or they'd stab me in the back. So I'm actually in a job where I can't get out of it and I'm stuck and I'm in a spot where I don't know what I can do. 
So I was initially writing people telling them that they got who. I didn't know at the time that all of a sudden we'd have now, when I first came out and the book came out in January, it was 10.2 million. Now it's 12.5 million and growing every single day. This is the unemployed. Yes. Yeah. Unemployment's rapidly rising, let alone that we have currently 80%, another Gallup poll, it says 80% of the people who are even working in corporations aren't using their number one talent. So let me get this correct. We're spending billions of dollars training people in jobs they don't want to do? Yes. So what do we do? Well, one, well, first, we, I, I, I'm trying to recalibrate the concept for youth, for youth and the new generation that says you should be doing a job you love. Right. It's about passion. Passion. Passion rules. In, in everything, in every interview that I do, the one thing, passion wins the girl, wins the job, wins the interview, wins the elections. It's what really excites you. I tell young kids when you come out, I said, there's two things that I want from you. What? I want great attitude and long hours. Of course, the two things you can't sustain if you don't love it. I mean, you were telling me you have a ballerina. How can do. you do that without passion, without the pain that you're gonna go through to actually become a ballerina? Well, it's not pain if you love it but it's pain for everybody else if you don't. And so we have people in jobs that they never liked. I had a person call me the other day and he said, Bob, I just lost my job and da-da-da-da and, and he's all distraught. And I, I wrote him back a note, congratulations, it's the greatest day of your life. Yeah. And he looked and go, what? I said, you hated that job. You were tolerated in that job. You were never celebrated. You were divorced in that job. What are you thinking? Listen to me, it's taken a big chunk out of who you are today is the day you should be doing a job you love with people you love and a place you love where your family love it and where you can do all the above for all the right reasons is that working most people they love their job they hate the people love the people hate the job but isn't that to some extent a function of the economy over the last 15 or 20 years exactly there, correct. Was, there was money and yeah, even it, if you hated it the money was there and even if you weren't very good at it the money was there yeah and that there was a lot of excess there were a lot of people more people doing a job than was required because people could afford to do and, that and it, and and what happened is you looked in the mirror you knew who you were you you turned left and all of a sudden you started doing derivative work, but it started working for you because it was based on position power money. You all of a sudden your lifestyle and you were paid well for it. You don't really like it. It really wasn't your dream, but you're in it. There's some people though, who are also in some facets, they're in a job and it's doing okay. You know, we're thinking, hey, right now in some portion of the country, we have 10.5%, right? Unemployment. If you have a job. If you even have a job, <laughs> but there's 10.10% people out of right. work. Uh some in some zones that we say it like overall, we're saying it's an 8.5. But the issue is we have 90 some percent of the country who d actually do have a job. Right. So the question really that if I'm trying to, to tell people, because I got uh, multiple aspects of this book that I'm teaching people on. And one, it's a book of core values. Two, it's a book for people who are who have lost their dream and they want to get back on it. To other people, it's how to help find them a job. And I have to show practical solutions on actually how to do it. Okay, but on one front, it's actually teaching the 90% that said, hold a second, you have one now. So is your neighbor out of a job? Do you know that? Are you out, do you, did you talk to your neighbor? Who are your friends? See, this is a book about reinvigorating your life thing aspect of jobs and being with people you right. love, okay? And getting back to your friends. And Bob Bodine taking a call from his publisher, arranging for lunch, and reminding you that you're speaking with, you're listening to, and we're grateful for that, uh, Paul McLaughlin, McLaughlin at Work, your audio guide to the workplace, the Work Walk, and our celebrated sponsors, Classroom 24-7, right there on the bottom of the screen as you see them, uh, web tools for learning and certification training, important, and they are Good folks, give them a look. You'll benefit from it. Bob's back with us. Now that lunch is secured, there's a meal at the other end of this, so you're in good shape. Um, switching gears here a little bit, you're talking about uh, getting back to your friends and finding that inner core, if you will, uh, re-identifying, re-relating to. Um, let's leave that for a minute. Let's address uh, your, your professional expertise in sports and entertainment. Let's talk about sports. Give, the, uh, give my audience here at McLaughlin at Work the benefit of your insight into, however you want to position it, um, college sports. You're here in part, the NIT tournament is uh, finals. You got the NCAAs, March Madness, uh, grips the country like almost like no other, almost brings the country together around the pools and who's number one. Um, what's right and what's wrong with the sports scene in America today? You know, sports is uh, is something we've 
we've grown up around, and it's around our heroes. It's around people that we, you know, our teams, our, our uh, you know, our passion, that we loved basketball. Uh, and let's just talk about basketball. I mean, one of the things that every university has is the, the, the actual team is the storefront of this university. A lot of schools don't totally understand that to some degree, is that they think that sometimes it's about what? It's about the fact that it's an educational process and that the kids are going to study and they're going to get their degrees and they're going to go out and become a, a, a higher learning. And all of that is great, except we came to school a lot of times for learning uh, about friends. I came from a school that was transformational in that regard, Georgetown University. Unbelievable. Uh, before John Thompson came, it was, it was a, a Jesuit school in Washington, D.C., and, and frankly, back in, in my day, it was, uh, it was mostly white, and Washington had some great uh, black uh, athletes who left the Washington area and, uh, and disappeared into the rest of America. John Thompson came along, turned around the program, and put Georgetown on the basketball map. So, uh, and, and, and in the hearts and minds of the country who identified it with. They still talk about the Big East being in the NCAA this year and always refer back to the Villanova-Georgetown game and, and how seminal that was in basketball. But your, your point that it is a storefront storefront it is it is is life's made up of moments and what could be greater than the Villanova Georgetown moment if you were there and everyone can go back in their lives and remember moments they had but you know those moments are always around also who I was with who are my friends my fraternity brothers my my college who roommates. I shared the moment with I had to share some moment with uh, it could have been uh, a, a father with their grandson it could have been a, a you know a, a single mom with with her daughter or son um, today uh, women's sports are growing leaps and bounds uh, and college women's basketball is going on right now and it's packed I mean just in, in local Baylor I mean I go to a Baylor game it's you know for Kim Mulkey I mean, that's it's like at Baylor, it's packed. It's sold out. Why? Because, you know, again, this is about moments with people and teammates and and this whole aspect of 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 of, of this whole aspect of a sport where we can actually get pride of this is my team. This is my group. So you can identify with it. I identify with it. And so when I do search in sports, nothing can be more satisfying than to have someone who comes to me with a problem that our our sport uh, and it comes on a number of fronts we're not making we're not winning on the field we're not winning on the court we're not we're not raising enough money because we can't actually compete because we don't we're not in the right conference we don't have the right sponsorship we don't have an issue that says that we're able to to recruit people because we don't have the right practice facilities that what all of these are part of, of a process today that says that what is it that actually is going to be for us, because if I could get one coach to come in who has a vision and a direction for this university and feels called to it, we can change everything. Because that one coach gets then one great player, and he gets one other great assistant coach who gets another great player, who gets another assistant coach who gets another great player, and all of a sudden, I've got a team. So here it is that I did. I mean, I'm, I'm in, actually, New York City for the NIT to watch my coach that I placed at Baylor University, Scott Drew, who has probably recognizably one of the greatest stories of all time of having taken over a team uh, at Baylor University following um, one of a, a coach who actually had that uh, in, in Dave Bliss, uh, who was a 500-win coach who had a death on his, uh, and a murder on his, on, you know, in his team. And of course, that usually totally destroys an organization and never can come back until you find one coach who's a transformational person, who doesn't look at a situation but creates a new vision, who comes in with a different standard. And of course, that's what executive recruiting is really about. I don't really come in, I have to understand you as my client and what kind of person fits with you and your culture and then what type of person who has the skill sets that could actually come in and create a new passion and enthusiasm for where we're going, and and a Scott Drew, of course, went out and, and and created with the with all the students, with all the faculty, with all the right people. He recruited the right teams. Initially, he actually had to go overseas because he had to bring in a few people who maybe didn't even know there was a murder, right? right? And then he did it, and slowly 
he's in the... He's Whoever thought that China, Croatia, no. Italy, Spain would be, provide basketball players. Of course. And of course, every team today has, you know, one or two players that are international and are doing an amazing job in the universities. And so one of the things I love about sports is that is that we all rally. We all want to be part of something that's great and, and, and something that's exciting. Of course, whether it's basketball or whether you love uh, soccer or whether you love you know, tennis, you have an opportunity in sports to kind of go over and join for that moment of swimming. We come around the Olympics and we, we build these individual stories, right, around athletes that are doing something great. And we put them up on pedestals and we do all this stuff, but the real real excitement in my opinion comes to the power of who it's about really the people you're doing it with and who you're watching with because that's the moment that you'll remember for years and if i could be part of a team if i actually can't physically be on that team i could actually be supporting that team and of course there's great you know you know kind of uh you know a feeling around the fact that hey i'm watching you or i'm supporting my team or i'm giving sponsorship to it i'm part of the alumni group i'm wearing my green shirt or something for baylor tonight and something that i'm going to support my guy take us inside the uh, presidential suite I, i've worked in a couple of universities myself and there was a time when uh, the bane of any uh, university was its professional schools its law school its business school its medical school that that never worked with the uh, uh, with uh, philosophers and, and artists. Um, give us an insight into the, the issues, the conundrum that faces a, a university president who has a major sports program that may dwarf, if you will, in money and, and in its prestige, uh, the academic uh, excellence of the institution. You know, one of the things I, I presidents come to me at, at, at just on those issues alone to say when we just can't hire a coach. Coaches aren't just hired anymore for just your X and O's and what you do on the court or on the field. Really today, um, I'm initially brought in to bring in athletic director who can create a program that's actually part of an entire institution, okay? Uh, something that's, that, uh, and, and I was one of the big proponents back. I placed the first athletic director ever, um, and then I've now placed 33, and in doing so, these are now vice presidents of a university, and they sit on the cabinet with the president, and they create relationships, and they're actually drawing bridges they're across. They're strategic. They're strategically stopping and showing that, hey, I care about our law school, I care about if I'm the head coach about what you're doing and I'm trying to create relationship friendship uh, across the board because I know that if I'm very successful on the on the stage here that that top you know uh, lawyers in the future and top mathematicians and top engineers will want to come to our school because life's just not one-dimensional I, I you know I, I, I like to be able to, to, to experience a large, broad amount of things besides the fact that, hey, I might just be able to find the one fossil that's gonna change the way we, we look at, 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 at our history of timing of, of some facet of our world you know, in some direction, or I found some dinosaur or something. The issue today is, wouldn't that be great? And I also went over to Georgetown and I saw the big game, and, and of course I was there for Patrick Ewing during the time right. that they did something. Right. So, so today, um, the the new youth sees things much more as one box. We don't have, and I think that's the, the aspect we really, I'm trying to teach in The Power of Who, is that we don't live in compartments, family, business, church, clubs, association, schools, etc. We have one life. It's one box. And I don't need to actually go outside, okay, and, and, and live my life where my church doesn't know, you know, I, I, I have a margarita or I don't have this over here that doesn't understand that I, I you know, I, I can't, I, you know, we can't have sports that are, that are friends with the mathematics department. This is ludicrous. This whole concept's ludicrous, is that, you know, you and I are, can be friends on multiple fronts and, uh, and first and foremost, though, we have to have relationship. I did this study that there's 5,365 people that know me now. Uh, you know, in the sports world, you get that in part of executive recruiting. And uh, it took me 5 million miles on American to do that. <laughs> and then I did a study of actually in my business of who's helped me, gotten me search, uh, done something in my life that's significant. Oops, it was 87. So 87 out of 5,365, when I took, you know, you know, uh, stupid off my forehead and started focusing in on my who, the people who actually given me, the, the paradigm shattering thought here, the thing that takes everything out is that in my 87, these people 
actually have who, and, 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 and they have who's who, and we have these circles that draw out to allow us accomplishing our goals. And there is hidden here is such unbelievable insight and so much unbelievable wealth of, of opportunity for someone that we're always thinking our success is out there somewhere, and it's really, gee, right next to us. Your big success your next big thing, your company that you wanted to get something done and it's being hindered for you, you know why? It's because we're not creating the relationships with the person right next to us. Social networking, what do you think about uh, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook and MySpace and, and these kinds of, of things, just sort of as a, as a movement, if you will? They're here to stay. <laughs> There's okay. a realist. Yes. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I'm telling people is this. The most amazing thing is that Facebook, for our generation, is not bad. We haven't yet maybe found the one that we're going to use the most in the future. I think that the power of who has a social networking tie that could be amazing in the future for our generation. But here's the thing. When you dial in and put your, uh, your high school and your college into Facebook, do you know that it does uh, all this research for you and you didn't have to do any of it and all these old names of people that you've forgotten, they pop up and you have the choice of saying I want to friend them or I don't have to friend them and then all of a sudden you actually are reconnecting to a bunch of people that you had these great memories, the person that you sat next to at one of the big games and for some reason because of, of some phenomena that I teach in my book called The Power of Forgetfulness, yeah, you've I forgotten hear about them. That. Yeah. It's unbelievable and so today the, the, the great thing about this is that there are some people that you need to reconnect with right now, especially in this crisis if somebody's lost their job. They need to reconnect with this person. And if you haven't, well, that's a big mistake. And this social network can actually help you. But the negative aspects of social networking, I mean, holy cow. So you actually have 5,000 friends? Of course you don't. Right. I, I, people say to me all the time, discriminating. Oh, I, I, I have lots of friends. No, you don't. No one has lots of friends. <laughs> the answer is you get 12 friends, three close, one best. The question is, can you write them on a page for me? The problem that we have with friendship all over the country is here's the, the biggest problem. We're not declaring friendship. No one tells a person you're my friend. It's the craziest thing. It's why I tell the story about Boston Legal, one of the funny shows that are on with. It is. Okay, yep. and and the and I actually the, read that in here. Read it's it in one the of the great. It's a, one of the great stories. Is that here's William Shatner and James Spader, and they finish every night with a with a cigar and a scotch out on their chair. I mean, this and and it was really a phenomenon that hit across the country today. And here's what the phenomenon was. We had a liberal and a conservative. There's no way that they actually could be friends based on today's world, based on the things that most people think. But they loved each other unconditionally. They'd help each other no matter what. One day, all of a sudden, William Shatner saw James Spader having a cigar with somebody else out on his balcony. And he felt jilted. He didn't know what to do. He said, I saw you. Okay, so he knew he hurt his friend, and so William Shatner, you know, uh, you know, James Spader comes back to William Shatner, and he knows he has to say something to his friend, and here's what he says. It's just, and it touched people all over the country and changed the way, I think, men who are terrible about relationship, uh -huh. terrible about declaring friendship, and women are fabulous at it, um, and here's what they said. He said, today everyone calls everyone their friend. He says, it has no meaning anymore. At first or second times we say hello, we hug and kiss. He says, at birthday parties, at corporations, I write snippets of sentimentality to people I don't even know. We say, I love you to everybody. Then he looked over, James looks over at William Shatner, who feels jilted, and he says, you're my best friend. I can't imagine living life without you as my best friend. And you know what? Today, we need to actually do that. I did the other day, uh, it was, uh, I did, I placed a, a, another turnaround job at SMU. I took the head football coach from Hawaii, 12 and 0, and I brought them to SMU, 1 and 11. Transformational, they don't know how to win at SMU, that's my college, it's even more important. June Jones, of course, one of the great coaches of all time, um, you know, former pro coach, former great thing, did everything, I mean, he's a legend in Hawaii, okay, is now coming over to teach how to actually anatomy the whole concept of a turnaround. And of course, that's what I do in, in executive recruiting. I try to actually do something that transformational. He then sends out my book to a bunch of his friends because he's a real big power who guy. And one of his friends sends back this note to him and he copies me on it. And it says, and he calls June Jones, JJ. And he says, JJ, he says, I just read that book, The Power of Who. He's talking about us. 
our buddies, our friends. How did we miss it? How did we get caught up in what? Right. When it's always been about who? And he says, we need to kind of get our friends back, come out to Pine Valley. You know, one of the great golf courses. Sure. And he says, he says, he says, get our friends. He says, bring that Bodine guy. I said, yeah, bring that Bodine guy. <laughs> and then he says this amazing line, which actually brought my wife and I to tears. And he said, JJ, you're my best friend. It's a little bit like uh, the coach. One person usually does make a difference in the circumstances. And it's not, it's not four or five. It's not right. the 5,000 that you have in the social network. Oh. It's not the number of people that you are in LinkedIn. No. It is the one person who is there for you under those circumstances with the right connection. Absolutely, and they have the right connection with the person you need to know. They've actually spent years developing a personal relationship of trust. So when they say, when I say to my who, so the reality is that when we get to my circles and you get to the third circle outside of your who friend, it's called allies, I have 87. So Paul, let's say you want to know one of my people. Well, there's no reason for you to try to get to know them. I'll help you get to them. Why? Because I like you. Right. I'll just get you right in and they'll meet you wide because not because they're helping you. They're helping me help you. Right. Boy, there's some people who come into your life for a reason or a season and they make they make an indelible mark on your life. There's other people who just leave and come in and poof, they're just gone. You know, I think we have different types of friends like that. And I think people have to evaluate their, their relationships. Some people they have are, are actually replenishing. You're around them, they just go, oh my gosh, that's so good. Then you're around some people that are neutral. It's like that courier company that comes in, you didn't even know they were there. You signed, you can't remember what the person said. If they came back, a police officer said, what would that person look like? I don't know. <laughs> then you have some people who are draining Ooh, what picture did you just get, Paul? Yeah, you yes. had somebody who came into your mind. Who was? My point is that you, you know, I can change your life by three things. What you read, what you listen to, and who your friends are. So let me get back. Here's the thing. There's four things yeah, I'm I thinking about. I want to those four. The first one you just... First one is, do I know you? Yeah. So the issue is, is that All right, knowing... who's number two? Number two is, do I like you? 94% of the reason you get our job, okay, when you come in to meet me is because I like you. 6% for the other thing. Now, the power who's all about competence. If you're not competent in your job, you can't even get up for this aspect. If you're not passionate, first off, you're not going to get into any of this. So stop. You have to face Randy, Paul, and Simon. They'll ding you before you walked in. <laughs> the issue and is, the new one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, who nobody likes. Kara. But yeah, who nobody likes. <laughs> all of America doesn't like her. For some reason, they put her in there. It is, why? Nobody knows. But she's there for, they obviously, they're not stupid people. They no. put her in there for some reason. Conflict. Chaos. Yeah. <laughs> Some type of, of, of another aspect because her and Paula don't get along and they don't Absolutely. talk. I don't know. It's crazy. Do I like you? When I you came up to meet you, I, it was, it was, I honestly, I tell you this, with before I even hit you, I already liked you. Why? Because <laughs> you have this amazing smile and amazing positivity that you gave me when we first walked up. That's a critical aspect of success. It's one of the reasons you are successful at what you do is because you have taken that and said, that's who I am. And you actually- Okay, that's number two. Okay, three. Okay, so now think about this. If Can you build an I like you factor with me uh, in, in a minute and a half if actually that's how much time you have with my CEO and me? Some people think that they can come in because they, they are fabulously talented. They have a great resume. Of course, we didn't read that. Right. But but you think we have, and you think we're caught up in what? The answer is, there's the. I got Paul coming in next. He's the second candidate, and you know what? I already like him. He's already qualified, okay? I already know him. Someone already told me a lot about him. Chester called me about him. So the issue that really happens, now we're into question number three, is do you understand my needs? They think they are as a candidate. You're not the who. <laughs> it's the client. Get over it, get over it. Stop, right. you're killing me here. Stop. <laughs> this true. This person specifically right here. It's like here. the relationship between the CEO and the chairman of the board. Oh, <laughs> Hello. Who works for home? Who, exactly. <laughs> and you must understand this, which means that before I walked into this, is executive recruiting and, and job search. If you're out there looking for a job right now, you have to prepare. Who's in the room? Who do you know who knows this person, right? Who do you know who's actually going to actually be interviewing? Is there something have that you've you done your out? homework? Have you found out where they went to college? Did you find out that his daughter's a ballet? Did you find out something about this person that said something? Because it's all been written. All of his press releases, all of what this person's ever said is Googled. Here's the problem. If I didn't know you, of course, I can't necessarily say I like you because I don't really know yet. Right. Then I'm into question number three. And guess what? These questions get very, very tough when we don't know the first two. So we start throwing Nolan Ryan fastballs at your cheek. Right. You really can't actually sustain that.
Yeah. So we're into question number four. Are you the best for me in my particular situation? See, the, the, all four of these are who factors for the person who's meeting you. Meeting you to hire you for your product, meeting you to hire you for their business. Um, are you the best? What is number four about? Number four is now about the fact that I do know you. I know, I, Chester told me about you, okay? I like you. I mean, I liked you when you walk in. Three, do you understand my needs? Yes, you understand it. Now number four is, we're gonna talk, are you the best? And this is about now stories. Articulate that again, what was number well, four? No, number four is, are you the best uh, okay. for me in my particular situation? And this is about stories from your life that actually you've done in various jobs okay, of where you've been that can actually understand the problem that actually got. So now you're actually telling me and articulating, hey, you know what? Now here's a, here's, a, you know, because people in a job interview, if you really listen to the job interview or you listen to the client, they actually will tell you leading edge questions that tell you the problem. And they want to see if you've done something in your past history that's similar, that you can show a demonstrated record of achievement. Thank you so much. But what I find is when you have an I like you factor happening, because I sit in on all these interviews, I know you and I like you, I start throwing much more lob questions at right. you to tee you up. It's, it's almost like a Nolan Ryan cheek, cheek throw. No! I start to say, now, didn't you do a couple things that you did at Frito when you were there? Didn't you do this previously when you were at Georgetown? Didn't you do this when you were at the NBA and you had to go in? We, you know, I just got, had a situation right now that I'm doing the Charlotte Bobcats. I just placed their executive vice president of sales and marketing. And so the issue there is, hey, right now in sports, tickets are issues, right? Because we have we have a problem of the fannies in the seats. We got to get you know, people in there. We've got to get our sponsorship dollars up. City Field, Yankee Stadium. <laughs> all of this stuff is all about this right now. So what do I have to do? I better have great relationships, right? I better be able to connect with CEOs about what their needs are and what they want to accomplish and how can my sport help you achieve your goals and at the same time help us get people in. People are still, no matter what, going to go out to theaters. They're still going to want to see games. They're still going to want to do all this. So the issue is, is that I just want you to do it with us. Why? So I have to create such a feel that makes it so good. So do you really understand my needs and are you the best for me? These aspects right now, it's when you're into this, that's when all of these other people around your life start speaking into this other person's life and say, you know what, Paul's the guy. This is someone and that's why testimonials, endorsements, that's why all of this and this connectivity when I walked in plays such a big part, why? Because. I like you, I dig you, I got this feeling that there's something great gonna happen between us. I think we could become friends. I could trust you and you could be loyal to me and we could do it together. Why? There's a great quote historically that says this, two are better than one. It's a better return on your investment. If one falls down, you have a friend that actually picks you up. Pity the person, woe to the person who doesn't have a friend to pick them up. Can you do something actually really transformational without a team? Absolutely not. One of the things I teach in my book is that we're all created one cup short of greatness. I can do things really great, but I bet I can do a lot better with you, Paul. You do some things so much better. This interview works so much better because you, you ask insightful questions, which allows me actually to do it. If you're, if you're actually with somebody who doesn't know how to interview, well then the questions and, and the actual depth of where we're going in something to actually help people, which is your goal, which is my goal, which is why I wrote this book, to actually help people find something that's actually right next to them. Success is right at your face and yet they're missing it. Yeah, very true. And I was thinking when you were um, talking about testimonials, it certainly is is part of the book business now. And it wasn't true probably, I guess, two or three or four years ago. But now, testimonials. And I think people go into there, they, they look at, uh, I always look at the acknowledgements. I like I like your acknowledgement particularly. Um, and But I, I noticed, you know, you've got, uh, you've got McEnroe, you've got Colangelo, you've got uh, um, uh, Omar Manayev here from New York, you've got, uh, Mike Leach, who was on 60 Minutes with Texas Tech. An actual fabulous person, you know, uh, really bright, a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, most people really don't know oh, how yeah. strong and how good he really is. Yeah. And of course, you know, that's half these things and in, in most of the things we don't see out and about. That's what I love about my job is that I get to sit across from the brightest, sharpest minds in the world. But, you know, one of the things I really did about testimonials here is I didn't have anybody write a testimonial about Bob. 
I wanted them, if you look, from Roger Goodell uh -huh. to Troy right. Aikman to Wayne Gretzky, these are people that read the book because they're, they're not necessarily only my who friends. These are friends of my friends, right? Yeah. I, I need to prove to everybody the same way they have. Is they, most people, they, they, when they meet me, they want to say, oh, you're in my who. I could get a job if I knew you. No, the reality is you got who. You have a community of friends. You, you know, it used to be six people who said six degrees of separation. It was done by this, uh, you know, sure. guy in 1967. You know that's not true anymore because of Facebook, MySpace, etc. It's three. Come yeah. on, listen to me. The most empowering comment right now is if you need a big sale, right now. This you're thinking right off the bat. I need a big sale. I need a job. I need to get my mom into a hospital. I need to get, I want to take, you know, my son, I want to take him to a Yankee game. I want to get him, you know, what if we could get him on the field? You know, I have some amazing, you know, one of the stories, uh, I had a, one of my clients has a son and he's a, he's paraplegic. And uh, his mom and him, you know, they take him up and he loves NASCAR, I guess because of his wheelchair and, right. and this. And he's like 23, but he, he looks like he's 16. And he, and he sits up in a, uh, you know, in the, in each year. And so I, he's one of my clients and, he, and, he, and I listened to him and I said, so have, has he been down in the pit? Oh, no. Uh, and I said, wow. I said, well, you're coming up here in the next couple of weeks. So I call Dale Earnhardt's agent, who's a friend of mine. And I said to him... Um, through a, a, you know, the crazy part about this process, you can get to people that you can't believe. Sure, and, it is true. And, and, and so, I'm with you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's just crazy. And so I get to, you know, and this, even his agent is only, is really a great friend of one of my friends. Right. And, and so, um, and so I ask on behalf of this family to say, hey, can we get this kid down? Can we do something special? Um, I love my client. You know, this guy, Bob, is just great. And his wife never really felt she could connect with her son and do something for him. And she so much would love to do something, you know, significant, impactful. And so I was heading off on a trip. I set this up and boom, I'm on a trip out of the country. And the, here's what occurs. One call, it didn't take anything of my effort to actually get it done. Dale Earnhardt takes a photo of the kid and says a little, it's a little, you know, Polaroid, takes him, walks him over to the car in his steel and says, you're driving with me. Not only are you gonna drive with me, but when you put on your headphones, I'm gonna talk to you as I go around. And, and, I, and he's, then he says, now I'm gonna take you now, and he gives him a jacket, he signs it, and then he takes him around to every one of the other pits and gets them all to sign his jacket. He does something extraordinary. Why? Well, he's an extraordinary guy. Yeah. He's, he cares about people. And here's the thing, his mom, all of a sudden I get this frantic call in, you know, I'm in Mexico and I get this call from his mom crying on the phone saying, what did you do that? And, and you know what, you know, you and I can become moment makers. Each of us remember in our lives, someone who gave us a reference, um, helped us with a loan that we didn't deserve it. Uh, got us a job maybe and we weren't even ready for that job and they did it just because and I'm telling you today um, we can become moment makers for our neighbors for our friends and help them do things that are maybe change the whole trajectory of their life maybe they they've lost their confidence and uh, we need to step up and give them a shoulder just encouragement do you know all you have to say is just one nice thing and encourage someone and that might be the difference of whether they have a good interview or not because I can tell people you know when you come into the interview dogs dates and prospective bosses they can all sense this fear of wanting it too sure. bad. And, <laughs> absolutely. And it, it causes a problem. So if I had one person who just helped me prepare and say, listen to me, you are a star. Don't go in and try to be one. It's over the top. Just go in, expect something great. I've made a good recommendation of you. Once they can see your qualifications, that you're really strong and this, that you've done your homework, that you're really good, I think you could get this job. And, and that is everything today. And that's what we can do today. And that's what... And that is what is truly the power of who. That's the power of and who. And without, without the who, there's no power. None. And, 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 and today, that's where people feel so lonely. They're alone. They're sitting in their office all by themselves and saying, I don't have a friend. I don't have any who. The actual aspect is you do. You just haven't stopped to think about to it. Think about it. You got to remember the people that actually touched you, and then you have to reach out to them and reconnect. The answer is most people don't understand is that, hey, let's say you and I hadn't talked to each other in 20 years, but I can tell you this, is even if you call me now in five years from this interview, I'll, what do you think, I got Alzheimer's? 
No, I'm gonna. Of course, I'm gonna remember that you that you call. I'll say, hey, thank you so much. Yes, I remember this time. What can I do for you? Why? Yeah. Because there are some people you were given in your life, and we. I don't understand how God created it, but we are created to want and pre-wired to want to help our friends, and we will do it. That's the power of who. And that's Bob Bodine. I'm going to spell Bodine so that people see it on the uh, on the book jacket. They'll understand it. B-E-A-U-D-I-N-E. Bob Bodine, the power of who you already know. Everyone you need to know. Uh, Center Street out of Hachette is the, uh, is the imprint. Uh, we're delighted that Bob was with us today. And uh, I think we're more than friendly. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, it, I, I've done something on my website, powerwho.com. Okay. And, and we've, we've actually got job tips. Um, I'm blogging. Um, I'm actually trying to showcase to people that they got who. And, 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 you know, this is a paradigm shift because we've been so used to just sending our resumes because it's been such a great economy, and that just doesn't work anymore. Get off so your ass, stop. reach out. That ain't going to happen. You have to reach out to your friends. Listen to me, traditional networking doesn't work. People hire people. They don't hire resumes. And listen, friends help you get jobs friends and listen to me you got friends go out and ask them there's three things and that's why i think we should just finish on this thought okay there's three reasons you won't get your dream one you don't ask it's an epidemic disease today we somehow don't like to ask i don't know if it's pride um i don't know what it is but you have to ask two ask the right who Spend some time remembering your friends. These are the people. And three, don't be vague. Make a specific goal. Find out what it is you really want to do. That's the tough one. You got to. That's but the see, tough one. And that might mean you have to go away for a few days, sit by the water, take some a moment, take a step back, yep. and then decide. But this to me, if you, it's the old Jerry Maguire, help me help you. I can't help you if I'm your friend if you don't tell me what you want. And so that's why I created a strategy that you're going to love in my book called the 140 strategy, 100 you get between one and a hundred who, and you have 40 things that you want. If you said 40 PR jobs that you wanted, let's identify the list because you can never get what you can't see. And I will showcase to you in my book specific practical solutions on how we can then get our who to help us connect with these people. But I can't help you if you don't tell me. Bob Bodine, thepowerofwho.com. The book, The Power of Who. You already know everyone you need to know. I'm glad I met you. Hey, it's really nice to meet you. Thanks, Bob. Thanks. What an engaging guy, that Bob Bodine. Paul McLaughlin with you, your audio guide to the workplace. McLaughlin at work, the work wonk. Interesting that uh, Bob was actually in New York to witness the finals of the National Invitation Tournament. That's uh, NIT, between the NIT and the NCAAs this last weekend. And his guest, uh, well, first of all, he had recruited the coach of Baylor University, came out the underdog, but they um, acquitted themselves well and had a real turnaround. He was very proud of that, proud of who he put in and the accomplishments of that coach. His guest at the NIT was one Chester Elton. Chester is also the and author of The Carrot Principle, and he's going to be on McLaughlin at work in a couple of weeks to discuss the re-release of The Carrot Principle with some new information. Small world that these two men, who both are you know, great personalities and are working with people, both in the recruitment field and in the awards field, which is where Chester is, would happen to find themselves uh, as friends, became friends, helped each other out, and um, now both appear within a couple of weeks on McLaughlin at Work. That's the way it works here. We bring you the best of management, leadership, and employment in the workplace in all of its various forms. We are not limited by any boundaries. Uh, we are explorers. We try and bring people who can share both their expertise and their teaching ability, guidance for these troubled times, how to get better at what you do. And certainly Bob Bodine has a number of both anecdotes and pithy comments and observations from his rich past we can all learn from. One is get out there. The most important element of progress is to avoid hunkering down in the bunker, as Bob put it so well. If you or your company is in need of certification training or web-based learning, you might check out Classroom 24-7, a sponsor here for McLaughlin at Work. They do good work. 
click on their banner there at the bottom of the uh, visual and you can learn much more about their web-based tools for institutional learning on the web. And next week on McLaughlin at Work, we will have a riveting discussion with Rita Gunther McGrath all around discovery-driven growth. And she and her co-author Ian McMillan highlight a breakthrough process to reduce risk and seize opportunity. With that kind of a title, not surprising that it's coming from Harvard Business Press, but we'll have the opportunity to uh, speak to Rita Gunther McGrath and explore her thesis, which undoubtedly will give us further insights into how we can define growth and have that growth strategic. All here on McLaughlin at Work, Paul McLaughlin, thanking you for being such a good audience. Wouldn't have a good show without a good audience. The tree doesn't fall in the forest without somebody hearing it. Who gives a damn? We do. We're grateful. We look forward to your joining us again next week on McLaughlin at Work.